The nation's capital, the District of Columbia, has the largest race and income achievement gap in the nation. And yet, the charter schools we're talking about are closing that achievement gap. If you permit more seats to be open to more students, we will have more success in closing that achievement gap. Welcome to Reality Check, a weekly podcast about anything and everything having to do with education. I'm Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. We chose the name Reality Check because a lot of what you read about education these days is often wrong or misleading. If you want to know what's really going on in American education, from K through career, you're going to need a Reality Check. Welcome to another edition of Reality Check. I am Jeannie Allen, and I am so excited to be in the studio today with two people who are incredible leaders, educators, and provocateurs on a critical topic of importance to our kids, Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, charter schools. A lot of people who have listened to reality check in the past um, and hopefully now understand that in Washington, D.C., charter schools are widely regarded uh, as one of the most successful things to happen for our children, particularly black and brown kids in the district since 1996. They've grown to serve almost half of all public school students in the district, and since 2000, test scores, on-time graduation rates, college matriculation rates have risen across the board. Charter schools do a demonstrably better job of educating low-income minority students than traditional school counterparts. So why are local leaders from the mayor to the city council still putting artificial limits or trying to strangle these amazing schools? And even where charter schools are wildly successful, it seems, from Washington to New York and all in between, they can't get out under the heavy hand of politics and, I don't know, is it political correctness? I don't know. We're going to talk about that. My guests today on Reality Check have been battling these forces, as I said, and I'm so pleased to have Ramona Edelin, the head of the D.C. Association of Chartered Public Schools, and Sean Hartnett, the head of the Statesman Schools in the District, which is an innovative new charter that focuses on delivering a high-quality education to young black boys. Ramona and Sean recently got behind an effort in D.C. to call on the mayor to release unused DCPS buildings for more charter schools to help meet the demand of more than 12,000 students who are on waiting lists for high-quality charter schools. Their End the List campaign is a citywide organizing effort to make the voices of the charter school community heard loudly and clearly. I'm going to stop talking now and turn to them for the story on why they helped develop this campaign, why they're even in this effort, and why when it comes to D.C.'s kids, they spend so much time and energy trying to prove to everyone that every child deserves the opportunity at a great education. Sean, let me start with you. Sean Hartnett, statesman, charters, you make a powerful case in the End the List video, which we will have linked to this podcast for charters. What motivated you to do this work? Um, Thank you for the opportunity. Always enjoy the opportunity to talk about this really important work um, that folks um, are doing across the nation, not just here in Washington, D.C. And certainly understand and appreciate, you know, as a part of my own experience growing up um, in an inner city and going to public schools and being lucky enough to have my name pulled in the lottery for at, what at that time was called magnet schools um, and, and being able to go to a, an extremely high performing um, high school in my own city and then going off to college and, you know, literally thinking college was a joke. Um, and, and, but, but being blown away 
by so many of my um, peers who were struggling, struggling to do everything that I found extremely easy. And it suddenly occurred to me that while my cousins had gone to a school across town that was more popular, that had a better football team or basketball team, um, I had excellent teachers. I had excellent teachers in every single classroom. Even the bad teachers in my high school were good teachers. Um, and I was made to work and work very hard. And so I got to college and I found it a joke. And you know, many of my uh, contemporaries got to college and found it very hard. Um, my name was picked, right, in the lotto, right? It was a lottery. And, and one of the things that occurred to me is you should not have to win a good education. What they paid for me to go to Wilson, um, they also paid for my cousins to go to that school across town. And so uh, that's been my work ever since, you know, to, to, to make sure that we are building additional opportunities for kids to get a high quality seat where they're going to get an education. And I think for black and brown boys, e even here in our nation's capital, that's pretty difficult. Those numbers are pretty difficult um, for schools that are actually uh, serving that population well. And so that's just been my work, you know, and which which I think this is not the work that we're doing to get buildings released is not tangential to that. I think it's directly, it directly impacts that. Right. But one of the things that a lot of people, I think, don't realize, which might be, like I like to think in a positive way that part of the pushback or the hesitance to release buildings and to expand this is ignorance. I just It's a positive way to look at it. Some of it, people think it's power. Sometimes it's more nefarious. But let's just start with the lack of awareness. We won't even call it ignorance. What is it that schools, that your school does, that charters do that is different? And maybe it's not what you do, but why is it different? What are the conditions that people have to understand why there's a bunch of us running around pushing this? Yeah, and I, th I think that's really big news. Um, and I think it's a really important distinction that people don't oftentimes really understand. I think we have parents in our school who still struggle to understand, like, I am in a charter school. I am the head of school and founder for a charter school, which means that I am a public school like any other public school. We are funded by federal and local dollars in the same way that every other uh, public school is fun funded. There's plenty of argument about how much more we could and should be receiving, but we are largely a public school. We are a public school. What makes us different is that we have autonomy. We have autonomy to choose our programming, to hire our staff, um, to set our buildings up in a way that we think uh, programmatically serve the students who we're trying to serve. And those autonomies have led to what we've seen and just continued you know, results for the students who we serve, um, including in my building where we have 30% of our students are coming to us with some form of a disability. Um, and that is because we've decided to serve African-American boys the population in the United States that is oftentimes, you know, they're the highest representation in SPED. And so it's not a surprise that if we decide to serve that population, we're going to get a higher SPED population. Um, but we, we're going to argue that they're better with us. You know, they're doing better with us. The autonomy that we have to make decisions around program, decisions around how we structure our day, what curriculums we use, what pedagogy, which is incredibly important. How do you provide instruction? How do you take a young man from not knowing to knowing to then being able to use that, to apply it? Those are critical decisions that turn into outcomes that I think that many of my contemporaries in, um, in traditional schools don't feel like they have that latitude. It's really great points. And um, it's an education we have yeah. to obviously keep. With that comes accountability. Right. When we don't succeed, 
we close. And that's an, a very difficult reality for parents and communities who see schools stay around forever, regardless of whether or not they're doing well. But as a school that is given autonomy, we, we are held to a level of accountability for that. If we don't do well, we have to shut down. So that sea change in the delivery and how we do public education in this thing called charters, Ramona Edelin, is probably at the heart of some of these challenges. Now, you know so much about this area. You know you are, you are an educator. You are someone who studied this. You are a thought leader. Help people understand why folks might be standing in the way of opening up more seats. And what part of it has to do with the fact the district, once upon a time, was that great equalizer, right? So there's this great tradition of of African-American people in Washington, D.C. who were served by that system. Is that part of the issue? I think it is, and I think loyalty to what was is a tremendous, tremendous force. And I think we all value loyalty and understand loyalty. Many of the people in elective office and in other positions of leadership in the city where education is concerned are very deeply loyal to the schools and the heritage and the tradition that they experienced. However, even they, uh, in the 90s, came to realize because DCPS was failing so ignominiously that there needed to be a rescue. And it was, in fact, not the Congress that initiated charter schools in the District of Columbia, as urban legend would have it. It was the superintendent, Franklin Smith, calling upon the D.C. Council, and the council itself passed legislation for charter schools. Now, as you know, the Congress oversees us, and so that package of legislation had to go to the Congress for approval. And at the same time, members of Congress had their own ideas about how education reform in the District of Columbia should proceed. So they sat on the council's legislation package and tried to get through one of their own, which called for the founding of the, the enabling of charter schools and a voucher system. That legislation was defeated, and then they had to come back with charter schools only legislation. And by the time that passed, the council's legislation was moot. And there was considerable resentment in the district because the Congress had let our legislation lapse and put their own in place. But it is not the case that charter schools were forced down the throat of the District of Columbia by Congress. It, it, quite the contrary. We ourselves called for rescue at that point, and charter schools did rescue public education in the District of Columbia in the 1990s. Okay, and, and go on a little bit more about what was happening at the time. I mean, I, ha I had just been doing some of my work for a few years. This was not this incredible shining city on a hill for choices and options and opportunity that it is now. I mean, no, public education time, was pretty broken, right? Yes, it was, tragically. It really was. Uh, by that time, enrollment had dropped to more than half. Uh, there were lots and lots of... Uh, shall we say, missteps uh, budget-wise in terms of the ability to teach and learn, in terms of governance. Uh, it was broken from top to bottom. And everyone, including, as I say, the superintendent, said, we need some way of looking at this differently. We need to give 
folks an opportunity to fix this, and we need to give them the autonomy to try and experiment and, and then let us learn, let everyone learn from what they decide uh, could work. And if they work, then let's all take advantage of that. We need uh, an infusion of new ideas. We need an infusion of new methods. But the, the critical piece about charter schools, and this is where I have an issue, not with unions writ large, because let me just be very clear. The only path to the middle class for black and brown people for generations has been the organization of labor. We are not opposed to unions in the gener generic sense. The issue comes when the teachers' union wants to impose itself upon a charter school, and the reason it's a problem in a charter school is that charter schools have to have a vision. They have to have a mission. They have to share that vision. They have to agree upon the methods by which they will either perform, and, or as Sean says, or close. They have to be able to see themselves in a relationship that doesn't need a middleman in terms of a union contract or a union representative stepping in between them. They are not management and labor in the traditional sense. And so to have an interposition right now of ideologies and methodologies that grow straight out of a union playbook, uh, interrupting what has been highly successful, as you pointed out, Jeannie, particularly with the overwhelming majority of kids, uh, students in D.C. who are children of color from impoverished backgrounds, uh, is a travesty. It should not, uh, it should not be. Uh, and those who are wittingly or unwittingly playing into that handbook should wake up and understand exactly what they're doing. And, and they're doing what, Sean? These people who are following this playbook, whether it's unions or just bureaucracy, they're working through the school boards, they're working through the state education agency, which, by the way, was not around back then, right? Mm -hmm. We have all these new bureaucracies that exist now that would love to get their hands on it. And in the city council, you're in the list campaign, the stuff that you've been preaching. What are they trying to do to your school and schools like it, Sean? So, I mean, I, I want to I would steer clear of the language of trying to do something to statesmen. One of the things that we have found is that across the city in every corner, there has been tremendous support for the school. No one argues. Um, we we, pro we produced an argument for this city with regards to why this school should exist. That's that's unbreakable. I mean, the data is very clear. And from every corner of the city, including the mayor, there has been support for the program. Um, individually, everybody supports the program. The bureaucracies that they are attached to are oftentimes engaging in ways that would take every charter down. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that, you know, we Great have distinction. Yeah, it's a it's a very important distinction. I think that if you asked uh, the mayor today, she would tell you that she she thinks highly of these young men and really wants, you know, this this program to work for them. Um, and is a part of a bureaucracy, a part of a machine that unfortunately um, gets in the way. And so we find ourselves, one of the most critical things for a school is that you stabilize your program, that you uh, very clearly identify a model and that you put that model in place and that you execute on that model in a way that um, represents some fidelity 
of execution. And you can't do that if you're moving. You can't move. It is a trauma. Do that. Yeah. It is literally yeah. experienced by the families as trauma. You know, we moved our chill. We 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 had a place, then we didn't have a place. Then we were in a place for a year, and then we spent half of the year instead of me, you know, really um, focusing my attention on building out the model and building out support. Um, I spent that time finding the next place we were going to live, mm-hmm. right? And then we got into this place where we are now. And there is no guarantee that we'll be here past two years, which will create an additional trauma. And, you know, you lose families when you move. We moved quite a distance uh, from where the first school was to where we are now. Um, And we're adamant about staying in the community where we could serve families where they live. Um, This just shouldn't be. And I think that all of us know that in D.C., real estate's difficult. But I think that for charter schools that are trying to start up, not only is it difficult, it can thwart the development of your program. We're not as strong as we would have been had we not had to deal with that well, last and year. Well, and the subject of moving, think about think about parents and families moving. Absolutely. Charter schools allow you to go anywhere you want in the city mm-hmm. without having to petition the mm-hmm. school. Despite there supposedly being public school choice and you can enroll, there's always priority to the zoned neighborhood. And so if you are that foster child, if you are the family whose parents are going everywhere, you can at least still have that security of your school mm-hmm. without that zoning which again, Ramona, right? Zoning was tied to housing patterns, which has been historically segregated, and if not here by race, since it's largely a place of color, at least by income. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the genesis of segregation, housing. Yes. Um, But I did want to also add to what Sean had said. Uh, We have seen far too many schools that were successful with the students that they were serving have to move Mm -hmm year and year and year, and you cannot stabilize that way. We've had two or three to actually close largely because they had to move every year. It's just unconscionable when there are spaces, and that's the point. There are 12,000 students on waiting lists, but we estimate that there are at least 1 million square feet of surplus properties that could be put to good use by having them open their doors to these students. That would change the life trajectories of thousands of students who, even if they um, are in a school that was, uh, you know, you get to choose, I guess it's eight places in the lottery now. Even if it was on your list, but it was seven or eight, it's not really your first choice. Mm -hmm. It's not your second or your third choice. So we want to get as many families into the schools they want to go to Mm -hmm. as we possibly can. And here's the thing. There are developers Mm -hmm. with gentrification coming in, speculators scooping up property. I mean, even old abandoned warehouses where charter schools used to settle for, to at least to get started, Mm -hmm. are not available to them anymore. So we're coming to a place, coming to a point where if these buildings are not released, there will not be anywhere for these high-performing schools to expand and grow and serve more students. No, right. We're going to have Condo Gulch. And look, I'm a huge development fan. I, I, I love our system, our economy. But when the law says, right, the school reform law actually says first right of refusal mm-hmm. to schools first – you know what? The developers have to stand in line. And guess what? They'll be even better and more profitable if they allow those great schools to be there 
because that's who is going to move to those communities then. It really is a tragedy. And so let's mm -hmm. also talk about what's driving those developers and some of the opposition. I'm very frank, as you know, and so at the risk of offending anyone, I'm really kind of ticked at these supposedly progressive white liberals who are living throughout our city who seem to be the ones who are showing up more and more day after day at city council meetings saying, this is taking resources from my precious fill-in-the-blanks, Judy, Johnny, whoever. Doesn't this, like, just get your goat? I, do, I don't understand it. Um, I can appreciate any parent um, fighting for as many opportunities for their child as possible. And I also know that we are in a city where people think very deeply and often about um, children who are not their own and what can be done to serve them well. Um, and that it, that usually plays well on TV, but when you are looking into a school or into a place and thinking about your child and what your child needs as opposed to another child, sometimes that gets convoluted. Well, um, and that's that's unfortunate. Mm -hmm. Another reality is that only 24% of the students in D.C. actually go to their neighborhood school. Mm -hmm. Five, 6,000 children cross the river every day to come from the wards with the lowest performing schools out into the rest of the city. Mm -hmm. But 47% of them go to charter schools. The remaining percentage go to out-of-boundary DCPS schools. Mm -hmm. But with gentrification and with more and more families deciding they don't want to pay $50,000, $60,000 a year for private schools and bringing them back to the, to the uh, DCPS schools, those doors mm -hmm. for out-of-boundary students are beginning to close especially in the highest-performing DCPS schools. And so it's a catch-22. Mm -hmm. You cannot not let the schools grow where the students live, mm -hmm. which is where most of the properties are. Most of the vacant properties are in Ward 7 and 8, which is where the exodus primarily comes from. Right. You can't uh, hold on to them and let them rot right in front of people's eyes at the same time that you say, uh, sorry, I know you came here and your older brother came here and we have sibling relationships, but neither one of you can come here anymore because folks from our own neighborhood are filling up the schools now. It won't. You can't have it both ways. And, and that very gentrification that began, right, when schools started getting better, which, by the way, folks— was largely owing to charter schools getting created. Because I can tell you, when I was having small children and my friends were having small children, we left the city. Mm -hmm. The schools were not good. And all the folks coming back who are integrating communities that were once solely minority, who are demanding that, owe it to charter schools and people like you, Sean and Ramona, for allowing this to happen. And so there's a little also history lesson that I think. A lot of people are ahistorical where this is concerned. It's it's tragically so. And I think there is also a need for us to be thoughtful and fair to my white contemporaries in the city who are coming into the city and they're paying taxes. And they deserve to have their kids go to a neighborhood school and not pay $50,000 for a public educate or for a private education when a public education should be avail available to them. That said, we have to be thoughtful about what happens to kids who are in those schools mm -hmm. and where, where, where their options are. We, we have a phenomenal ecosystem of choice here. Um, and we need to be able to allow for that ecosystem to grow so that uh, I think we can do both things, allow families to go to schools in their neighborhoods and also increase the number of 
you know, high quality slots that are available to all. Mm-hmm. And Jeannie, I'm not writing off DCPS. Mm-mm. They must improve. They absolutely must improve. And we hold every good wish for their improvement and do wish to share best practices in teaching and learning and help so that all the children in the district can benefit. But in this gap period, don't close off the opportunities for the students who could be going right. to high-performing charter schools by just uh, thwarting their growth, by just not letting them have buildings. Come on, let's, uh, let's open these doors. Let's educate transform as many lives as we can at the same time that DCPS continues on a better trajectory in terms of its ability to provide a world-class education to every child, right? not no just those in the affluent wards. And no matter where they go to school. I mean, D.C. Mm-hmm. was famous. You know, the district is where so many advocates came together and said, let's, let's be agnostic about where students go. Mm-hmm. We can argue about the politics behind where they're things, but if they're working for students, three sectors— it's all. And now it's actually more than three because we have technology aids and we have all sorts. You have K mm-hmm. through career. And mm-hmm. we should be the most innovative city on the planet with all the people from across the world who come through here and walk our streets on a daily basis as opposed to like climbing back. So so what do we do to get there? What are you all doing through the EndTheList.org campaign? How do we get uh, the mayor and the city council on board? How do people join us? One thing I want everyone to be very clear about, and it's, it's just a heartbreaking data point, the nation's capital, the District of Columbia, has the largest race and income achievement gap in the nation. That is such a travesty. And yet, the charter schools we're talking about are closing that achievement gap. If you permit more seats to be open to more students, then logically follows that we will have more success in closing that achievement gap. The mayor, the council, and anyone and everyone else concerned about the well-being not only of these children and their families, but of the district and of the nation's capital ought to be pushing for that. We ought to be enabling that in every—we ought to be— removing every barrier that needs to be uh, removed and not placing barriers in front of that progress. I I think that what Ms. Edelin just said is so important, and there is so much more that needs to be said. We owe this community a proper education on what charter schools are and what they are not, Um, what communities they serve and how they serve those communities. We deserve them a desegregation of data that will allow them to understand how these schools are serving um, the children who we say we are most concerned with because we fully understand that they are coming to school having different um, issues uh, that can distract from their education in ways that are different from others. And if we are truly uh, concerned about them, as she said, we want to do everything that we can to make sure that this community is fully aware of exactly what we're up against. Um, and uh, that we remove any barriers. We should, no school should be looking for a building. That's just not on the list of things that, um, you know, maybe in the beginning, but I'm sorry. When you're a school, when you are up and running, and you're pro, you sh- this is not something that should, you should not have to concern your families with. Well, we're not sure of where we're going to be next year. Mm-hmm. That's just not what a parent needs to hear. Not acceptable. 
Yeah, and the other thing about it is the charter schools don't get these buildings free. We pay. You pay. And that money, instead of going to the private commercial market, ought to be going back into the education system in D.C. Uh, we have some plan. We have some thoughts about how it could even go to particular schools should they co-locate because they have so many empty seats in their buildings. But even if they're standalone buildings, those lease payments should be going to education right. in D.C., not to outside sources at commercial rates, by the way, uh, because buildings are rotting instead of being uh, made available to them. So you've got a couple of big milestones coming up there. Uh, there's an opportunity to make your case known to the city council on October 2nd, right, in D.C. There's a major push to release the buildings on November 14th. Talk about that RFO event. Yes, uh, the, we the in the list campaign uh, has uh, an event forthcoming uh, coming up in November, uh, at which specific charter school leaders will make an appeal to the mayor to let an RFO for a specific building that's sitting vacant and and abandoned at this point in time. Uh, it's the first time that that has happened. Um, it, it will be uh, dramatic in and of itself, but we also plan to wrap around it um, a showcase of student excellence to make the point that we don't want the buildings just for the real estate. We want the buildings for the opportunities that these schools provide for better education for these young people, world-class education for these young people. And so we're making a package out of that that rests on saying uh, let these high-performing schools expand so that more students in the district can have the benefit of this type of education. That's fantastic. Well, I am so thrilled that you guys have been here today to help people begin to understand, continue to understand uh, the critical nature of the fight for great education for our kids. My guests have been Dr. Ramona Edelin, the Executive Director of the DC Association of Chartered Public Schools, and Sean Hartnett, the CEO and founder of Statesman Academy Public Charter School in Washington, DC. Uh, be sure to visit uh, their websites, go to endthelist.org, join us to help release more buildings, um, and, uh, and keep fighting the good fight. Thank you so much for all you both do. Thank you, Janie, Thank you. for all that you do. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this edition of Reality Check. You can subscribe to Reality Check at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in and never miss an episode. Visit us online at edreform.com and follow CER on Twitter at edreform and me, Jeannie Allen. I look forward to exploring the world of education with you and another prominent guest next time. See you then.